Well, uh, welcome back to our Conversations for Change. I'm really excited, really excited about today's uh, conversation. Um, this is episode number six, and I'm going to be joined by uh, two people that I uh, love and know well, actually part of the team at Liberty. Um, I've got JR and Tess Carmichael joining uh, me for the conversation today, who are our much-loved downtown Brooklyn community pastors. Hey, guys, how you doing? Good, how's it going? It's yeah. going well. Hey, Tess. Thanks for having us today. Oh, man, it's a privilege. I'm so grateful um, that you guys have been willing to uh, have this conversation today. I think it's a super important um, time uh, for the body of Christ and for what's happening uh, around the world right now. And uh, I'm really, yeah, really grateful. I know uh, <laughs> I, was, I was telling JR right before we hit <laughs> record that, you know, you've been a very important um, and safe person for me. I think, you know, when we're navigating um, new conversations, hard conversations, when we are, I, I would like to think uh, all of us are committing right now to being on um, a learning journey and a healing and reconciliation journey that's going to require repentance and change and hard things being said and, and owned. Um, you've been one of those people for me uh, that I've been able to go to <laughs> when I had the quote unquote uh, stupid questions and some of them probably legitimately were stupid questions. But, you know, honestly, I think it's important for all of us if we're going to grow um, to have people in our lives that you can say, hey, this might be a dumb question, but help me. Like, like when I said to you, I was like, help me understand because, you know, I'm, I'm not only white, but I'm also, I also grew up in Australia. So like, help me understand Kaepernick taking a knee. I needed to be able to ask somebody that question without setting off, let's be honest, uh, social media kind of firestorm and a hail of criticism. I needed somebody who could help me understand different perspectives of that. And so I just want to say for the record, thank you <laughs> for being one of those people in my life. Um, so, you know, this, I think this would be a great conversation today and I don't want to do any more talking. Um, but I think, you know, what you guys bring so many things we could talk for hours, but, um, I would love to just kind of throw to you guys to start wherever you would like. But I, I think, you know, this, the opportunity maybe in this conversation is to talk about how you've been experiencing, um, these times or even looking back on your lives, not only personally, but then, um, together, uh, as an interracial couple or um, and then, you know, how does this affect your, your marriage dynamic, family dynamic, even maybe if we have time like pastoring in times like these. So yeah, you guys, where do you, where do you want to start? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's helpful for people probably to start, um, you know, realizing that Tess and I grew up in very different environments. And so um, I think that there's a lot of things that when we started dating and even when we started, you know, the journey of getting married, I think that there were realizing that where we came from and how we grew up and our experiences were so different. Um, but they, they almost kind of informed one another. Um, and so I think, you know, I remember, you know, moving to South Florida where I met Tess and, um, you know, had some experiences uh, specifically with police in Atlanta and uh, that were based strictly on my race. And, um, and, and, and then moving to South Florida, I remember one, one instance where I think, you know, you know, I think Tess grew up in a, a, an environment that was actually pretty diverse. And, um, and she was exposed to a lot of different cultures as a kid with her, 
dad being in the Air Force and then traveling so much. Um, but I think that us being together has caused her to see the this whole like racial injustice conversation from a different perspective. Yeah. And one of the things I think really where I think things kind of changed was I remember us driving home uh, when we were in South Florida, driving home one night from her parents' house and we got pulled over and we both were really confused as to why we were being pulled over. Didn't understand. We didn't think we did anything wrong. And remember the cop coming to my window and I was driving the car and, um, and, you know, he had asked for my license and registration. And, um, but immediately, um, another cop had come and basically just had his, 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 his gun drawn the whole time. And we were just trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and, um, you know, I think for me, I was, I knew what to do because growing up, we were taught what to do. Um, but I think it was the first moment, maybe even for Tess to not just hear about these things, but to experience these things. And I think, um, I think it's been an opportunity for all of us to learn. Yeah, to see it happen to someone that you love and you're sitting there like infuriated with what's happening and to not have ever seen that or experienced obviously personally, it was really eye-opening for me to be like, this is still happening all the time, no matter what you're doing, no matter if you're minding your own business, driving down, you know, Hope and Road in Florida, it's, it's happening everywhere. And I think that helped me as I was, you know, delving into a whole new journey of exploring and learning and JR has helped me so much with that um while we were dating but then obviously even more in marriage which I really appreciate and and value so much how does this um how does this play out in in marriage for you guys like what kind of conversations does this bring up or maybe I don't know because I guess along the way um maybe like like that new experience is eye-opening even if you're you know open or you know you've had experiences like what you've had Tess I mean still there's a whole learning curve there how does that play out in a marriage dynamic for you guys I think I don't know I mean JR has always been really gracious but also really honest with me and he's not you know um, he's not gonna spare my feelings for the sake of me you know not learning and growing as a person and obviously in general that's a huge goal of marriage to make each other better. But I think specifically in this instance, um, we've been able to talk through things and kind of like you said, like I've been able to ask him questions about things from so many different perspectives, both with him being black and Korean that have really educated me on what that looks like, what it looks like to have, um, you know, a family who immigrated to America, all these different things. Like, I, I just feel like he's been a safe space for me, but also um, really, you know, help me to get over some of my ignorance and things that um, I just didn't necessarily realize that I was, I was saying or doing or things that I had received that I didn't think about, you know, that perspective shift has been really helpful. Well, I think too, I think, um, you know, out, like outside of, um, you know, the racial injustice conversation, marriage in general is messy because you're bringing two worlds that we're independent of each other together. And so naturally marriage and relationship is messy and to do it well is messy. And so I think 
um, you know, the best thing that we can do for each other is to be honest and knowing that like at the end of the day, like I'm, I'm being honest with you because I love you and I want what's best for you. I want what's best for us. And, um, but it is messy. I think that, um, you know, even seeing my parents get married and was a whole experience because my mom was Korean, my dad's black and, and, um, and that's a whole nother, you know, journey that they had to walk through. And so I think, um, my parents have, have always been somewhat protective of, I think both Tess and myself in, in regards to that, because they had to walk through certain things in regards to them being an interracial couple that they know that we probably would have to navigate and experience as well. And I think, um, I think if we're, if we're going to be kind of honest on, you know, this conversation, I think, um, I think one of the biggest things that's been challenging is, is family, you know, are people that you, uh, you know, believe and um, even in difficult situations, ultimately want the best for you and they love you. And I think um, one of the things that we've realized in this season is um, realizing that everybody is on a, at a different point on the journey of education, of awareness, of empathy, and all of these things. And so within the context of our marriage and seeing two families come together, um, I think has been messy because there are moments where it's like, man, like, do you really understand what my experience is right now? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and also like, for me, it's like, I'm realizing how much I need uh, my family's acknowledgement of my experience and I think one of the things for me in this season is realizing um, how much that matters to me and and uh, and so it's but it's messy but I I think any relationship is messy Um, but I think it's all about working towards making things in each other better and I think if we can do that it'll it, it, it all starts to work itself out a little bit yeah would you guys have any I mean having any advice for maybe there are you know families or parents grandparents watching this i mean you know you, jr you talked about you know you've come things you've come to realize that matter or have been valuable or maybe desires of your heart in this time like what advice would you guys give families to care well for each other in this time i think it's as simple as um is asking the people of color that are in your life that maybe are now a part of your family, whether it's by marriage or some other way, just asking them how they're doing. And um, I think you, I think sometimes we see that as a very small thing. And so we don't think it has any significance to it, but I think um, that's all. I think a lot of people, especially people of color, especially black people during this season, that's all they really want to hear from the people that, um, they think care about them is they just want to, them to say like, Hey, how are you doing with all of this? Yeah. And, um, and rather than even, you know, rather than saying, Hey, can you educate me on this? Or, hey, can you help me learn more about this? It's like, no, can you just ask me how I'm doing first? Yeah. And, uh, because even if you skip that step, like, so if you skip that step, which is really about empathy, if you skip that step, then it almost becomes like it, it almost becomes like, oh, I'm just like a library book to you. I'm just like a resource to you. You don't really care about me because you skip that step altogether. Your first question to me 
is not necessarily, hey, how are you doing with all of this? But your first question is, hey, can you educate me on this whole thing that we're talking about right now? It's like, well, yeah, I want to educate you. But at the same time, I want you to just know that, know how I'm doing. Yeah. Um, And so I think that I would encourage families and parents, grandparents, um, you know, to just start with empathy and and that starts with asking people how they're doing. I think mm-hmm. um, that has to be the foundation, um, especially if there's a pre-existing relationship and where somebody believes that you love them and that you're for them. Um, I think it just starts with the simple like, hey, how are you doing right now? Yeah. And then on the flip side, I would say for those of us who are maybe reaching out to family, I would say start with grace, family or friends or whatever difficult conversations you might be having, start with grace. And then really be open to listen, try to, you know, not shut down different perspectives and shut down different thoughts, but be open because I think the only way that we can grow together is when we take time to actually listen to each other and have an open conversation. And you may not necessarily, in fact, probably at the end of the conversation, you're not necessarily going to agree on everything, but I think being okay with that and understanding that in relationship, you know, we can grow and challenge each other and explore things together, but if you don't land at the same space, that doesn't mean that you don't love the person. That doesn't mean you can't continue to walk through it together and continue to um, be in relationship. It just means that you're going to have to put in some work. And I think if we're willing to put in the work and have grace, that's the best place that we can start to approach these these difficult conversations, especially with the people that we love. I mean, if we can't start there, then you know, what business do we have talking to strangers and other people on, on social media or whatever else? So. Tess, maybe you can go a little bit more into that too. You know, I think there's a, I I think you have great perspective on being a white person um, in these conversations. And I think you called it one time, um, you talked about, you know, uh, how do I, how do I shoulder the load or take on some of the load? Um, Can you unpack that a little bit? Like, what is it? What, what, what is a helpful posture. I don't think any of us are doing this perfectly, but I think there are helpful and unhelpful postures in times like these um, yeah. for people of faith in the, in the white community, if you want to call it that. Um, if you have, you know, what, what advice would you have or what's your, what's your approach to this um, to be a helpful, constructive person in these conversations? Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, I'm still learning, but I think that the approach that I've taken is just to um, really take accountability start by, you know, admitting where I've, you know, seen things differently or, or apologizing for things that I've done. And then finding people around me that are not people of color that I can have these conversations with. Because I think that, you know, I'm so, I'm so thankful for friends who have been able to, you know, educate me and answer questions. But at the same time, like, I've felt the, I guess, the perspective of like, how can we redistribute the weight in this conversation, in this fight for justice? How can we um approach this in a way that it's like i'm not going to put all this on you you guys have been carrying this for so long how can i as a white person step in and begin to actually help begin to actually carry some of this burden as well not because i'm ever going to fully understand or i have the same experience but because you know i I love my brothers and sisters in christ and that's what we're called to so i've been um you know taking the time to personally privately educate myself in in new ways but then also gather with like white friends and just have these conversations about accountability for each other about, you know, what are we learning? How are we educating ourselves? What are we practically doing that can 
make a difference and not, um, not only having these conversations with people of color, but saying, no, let's sit around the table with, you know, whether it's if you have like a, a white family or white friends and, and have these conversations and um, challenge ideas and perspectives together. And hopefully if we, you know, continue to do that, we can kind of help, you know, redistribute the weight, I guess is, is the term I've been using, but help with that even just a little. I think it's, it's worth it to try. That's so good. Yeah, redistributing the weight. I love that picture of this because I do think it's easy in these times to um, almost have this, well, educate me or almost, and, and sometimes even the posture of that is not really receptive so much as expecting people to, um, people of color, defend, defend that, explain that, you know, from a posture of like, I don't agree, prove me wrong, you know. Um, and, uh, and I think understandably, I mean, even in preparing these conversations for change, I've had multiple conversations with people uh, in, in our world, whether in um, Liberty Church or, you know, uh, friends who are pastors, leaders, people of color and um, had different experiences. And a lot of people are saying, you know what, I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> I, maybe later I can have that kind of a conversation. So I think that that should tell me a lot of things. And one of them is just like what you're saying, Tess, I really resonate with that. Like the responsibility to carry that, you know, and be a grown up basically, like um, avail myself of resources and learn and press and pray. God, you know, like David's Psalm, you know, search my heart, oh Lord. Yeah. You know? Show me what, what's going on in here, you know? Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting to me because there aren't many other areas of life where we do this, where we go to someone else and say, you educate me, you show me all this, you spoon, spoon feed me this. In most other areas of life, if we're trying to grow and learn in something, we go after it, we approach it. So why is it that this is, you know, one of maybe a few areas, but one area where we're like, I need you to help me versus I would like to learn because I care about you. Well, and it's also, it, you know, that whole perspective is, is coming from a place of privilege. It is a, it is a privilege for a white person to be able to say, I want you to educate me on this. So even, even them feeling like it's, it's a black person's responsibility that's coming from a place of privilege. And I think that's why I appreciate, you know, Tess's perspective of saying like, Hey, I, what if, what would it look like if I just got with white friends and said, let's keep each other accountable that we're going to grow in these spaces and let's educate ourselves. And, you know, I think about it from the perspective of mature Christians to become a mature Christian, you have to be able to learn how to feed yourself. At a certain point, you cannot be dependent on other people to feed you so that you can grow spiritually. The same is true in this conversation about racial injustice. I think, um, uh, the Western church has almost created, um, there's almost even this like kind of privileged mindset within the church of like, oh no, like I, I go to church because someone's going to feed me. And if they don't, then I'm going to go somewhere else. That's, that's like that, that is, that is privilege all in itself. And so I think, um, I think where, you know, people who are trying to learn and educate themselves about this, I think they have to be careful and be aware that they aren't, um, that they aren't kind of taking those steps in that way. Cause that's a, it's a, it can be a slippery slope a little bit. Yeah. Maybe you could talk a little bit too. I mean, cause how many, how many years have you been in New York now? 
Uh, it'll be five in, I think, September. Wow. And we, aren't we grateful for that? <laughs> we love you guys. You're amazing. You're a, you're a, you're a gift. Um, but, you know, I, I know enough of your backgrounds. Know you, you know, both of you have been following Jesus a lot of years. But you, JR, I'm thinking about your experience um, growing up as a person of color and coming through different types of church environments, you know, where you got saved, you know, and your mom being active in the Korean church and, you know, your dad, and then thinking about your early years, early years of ministry in different cities or states in the U.S. I don't know what, what have been. So as you look back on some of that, and now you're in New York, which is another thing again, like, what are you, what are you noticing as you look back on your journey through the church as a, as a person of color? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, I think everything's had a purpose. And so when I look at growing up, going to an African-American Baptist church with my dad's family, uh, you know, there's so much about that experience that I think are naturally a part of who I am, which I don't want to lose because I think that's important. Um, and then getting saved in a Korean church, I think there's so much about how they pursued faith that I think is also ingrained within me. And I think where we have to be careful is I think, um, you know, obviously I think us being, me being a son of God and being a Christian comes first, but it doesn't mean that I negate the, you know, the cultural experience of faith that I think are naturally a part of who I am. Um, but then coming out of that world and, um, and most of my ministry experience being in what we would call, or most people would call white churches, um, I think was challenging. And it wasn't until this season with all of this stuff kind of coming to the surface and having time to really process, like, how do I actually feel about this? Um, because I would say that for the first time, I think, you know, Liberty is one of the first places I felt like, man, like, I really feel like, I really feel like and can fully trust that, like, they brought me on because they believe, um, and what God's uh, kind of gifted me in to do and to grow in and continue to grow in and get better at. Um, whereas other spaces, it more so felt like, um, you know, a lot of these spaces, I was the only person of color on staff. And so it's hard to not feel like the token. Um, and so at the same time, I felt like in order for me to continue to progress and grow, that I had to suppress so much of my personal story and my personal experience because, well, and I, I feel like I allowed so much that maybe wasn't okay because I felt like if I'd said something, then my opportunity at this organization was going to stop. Um, and so I think for me, all of this stuff has really kind of brought to light of the importance of me being able to, talk about the things that I've experienced, how much my personal story matters to the story of God and what he's doing. And, uh, but I think it was a hard reality to be like, even like a month ago, thinking about how much of myself that I didn't allow to be expressed because I was trying to fit into uh, a church where, you know, I think about, you know, it's, I, I almost, I called it unity, but really what it was was uniformity so that I could continue to progress in my ministry career. And, um, but I, I've been wrestling with that because if there's any place where you shouldn't have to suppress any of your story, it's the church. 
but yet here I am as a staff member at some of these churches. And look, they're great, amazing churches where I think God's doing amazing things and nobody's perfect and no one's getting this 110% right. So um, I don't want to sound like I'm speaking badly of these places because a lot of, they gave me a ton of great opportunities, but um, it is something that I realize, And I think the church has to be weary of in the sense of like, we say, come as you are, but is that somebody's experience when they come to church? Cause I have to believe if my experience being on staff at churches is suppressing my journey as a half black, half Korean person growing up in America, then I have to believe that an African-American person who comes to, let's say, the community that my wife and I lead, I have to believe that some of their experiences are the same, but they're suppressing their own story and what God is doing in their life or what God's bringing them through in their life in order to fit in to be a part of a community that should naturally be accepting of their whole self. And so I, I think one of the things that I've been wrestling with as a leader is when we say, come as you are, do we really believe that? And do we really live that out? Or are we pulling a bait and switch on people where we say, hey, come as you are. And once you get there, actually, we want you to be like us. That's huge. So talk to me. I mean, to me about pastoring in these times because this is what you're leaning into your own experience but then you're also like that you're asking that question like are we have i experienced this historically as being a you know a lived value of the church come as you are or was it something less than that and then you know i look i can only speak for myself i know when i look back on my faith journey and you know um faith spaces that i was a part of before we planted liberty uh, it's easier for me to see maybe in those spaces what I wouldn't like or what I don't want to do. And it's harder for me to sometimes see that in, you know, you know, or, or you know what you know what I'm saying, like to be objective about the thing that we're leading and, and building. And so I wonder for you guys together as a couple, I mean, I think you just shared both of you a lot. I think great insights then, but maybe you can speak just a little bit to, pastoring right now because because on top of all of what we talked about your own experience marriage dynamic extended family and kind of looking back on and reconciling kind of the journey even the faith journey to this point you also are processing all of that while trying to lead others through this right now i don't mean to just reinforce that this is a really hard thing you signed up for <laughs> not trying to talk you out of it okay you guys are doing an amazing job but just being real like this is this is not this is not easy, right? So what are you, what are you guys learning? Maybe Tess, you could share something. What's it like leading and pastoring right now? Maybe both of you could just speak to that for a minute. What is God showing you about how to lead others while also leading yourselves and, and all of that? Yeah. Um, I won't pretend it hasn't been challenging. Like you said, <laughs> um, I think it's a constant thing just this year in general, um, you know, walking people through such unique, um, unprecedented times while also trying to make sure that you um, lead yourself well. And I think, um, I don't know, I think we've just been on a, on us, like in a season of, of trying to listen, um, to really listen to people well, and not just say that we want to hear from them, but really mean it and, and take those, you know, um, things that they're walking through and the, 
the stuff that's not as fun to hear about maybe what, um, you know, they're experiencing that's not so great within our church or, or even with us or, you know, anything like that. Um, the, the criticism with the, the praise and taking all of that in and trying to learn and grow together. I think um, more than ever, I've been learning a lot about humility in this season and how important it is to, um, you know, keep your ears open for people. And if you're going to, you're going to lead people well, you have to, you have to be able to listen and, and acknowledge that, hey, you know, we can't please everybody, but we also need to acknowledge people's feelings and the fact that they're real and and people are walking through such different things. Although, yes, there's this universal walking through this weird season. There's also the fact that everybody's lives and experiences are very different through all of this and um, different, you know, heartstrings that are being pulled. But yeah, I think, I think humility, being open and, and remembering that at the end of the day, um, you know, a- after we've listened, after we've been open, after we've prayed, like God is going to show us if we're if we're willing and we're and we're doing our best to to love people that we're leading he's going to show us you know where we're supposed to be stepping next and um and trusting that at some point you know you have to also act and you have to move forward so i think um you know trying to walk that balance of of loving leading um hearing and then and then action so i don't know if that is your experience jr (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's probably all of those things, but I think one of the things that I've been learning is, um, and, you you know, it's kind of like, oh, you should know this, because we talk about this, you know, in just in general, and being a Christian and being a leader and whatnot, but like, realizing that how you choose to lead yourself in situations like this, and in times like this will ultimately determine how you lead others through it, and um and so I think as a pastor, finding and making the space to process this stuff personally matters. And, um, and I don't think that you can actually lead people and pastor people through times like this until you have personally processed how you feel about these things. And so I think that's been the biggest thing for me is trying to make space to process how I feel about these things and, and what God is speaking to me about these things and knowing that naturally those things will inform how I choose to lead people through it. And, um, but I, I do think it's, um, and I think that, that creates humility. I think that starting from that place of a personal reflection and, and, um, and what does this mean to me kind of a thing, I think that start that creates humility and, and um, and, but I think too, it's also been a place of learning, um, that, uh, you know, you, like, you don't have all the answers. And I think sometimes as a pastor, that's a scary place to be, even though it's not a bad place to be. Um, but I think that there's a culture where people look at pastors as if they have all the answers. And, um, and I think this is one of the spaces where you kind of realize in seasons, you realize not just with the whole race thing happening, but even with, you know, the pandemic, it's like, man, we just, there's a lot of answers I don't have. And, um, mm-hmm. um, and so I think um, really leaning on the people that God's placed around us has been important for us. Um, like the elders in our community and other leaders in our community, people's voices that we trust um, who are part of our community um, and that we get to lead. I think um have been critical, but it's been hard because I think for me, it's been hard because, you know, 
you're wearing multiple hats because you, you, this is something that you experience personally, but then you also have to pastor people through it. And I think that's been a challenge, um, but a great growing area of growth. And, uh, uh, but it hasn't been easy. These are hard conversations and, um, and hard things to lead people through because everybody's at a different point on the journey, yeah. but you're called to still lead them all. Um, and I think that's the challenge. I'm sure, Paul, you, you, you're kind of probably navigating this as well, realizing like, man, like, you know, a whole church of people and everybody's at a different point in the, on their journey of racial injustice, but I'm called to lead every single one of them. And how do you do that well? How do you do that well without neglecting somebody, without devaluing somebody's experience? I think that's been a, a challenge for sure. I think um, I think part of my experience has been to I think social media has a unique dynamic to it. Um, I mean, you guys know me. I'm not like the biggest like social media uh, guy at the best of times. Uh, I have a love hate relationship with it, and and nothing to do with even right now the times that we're living in. I'm not just talking about you know uh, racial injustice or the pandemic but but this adds layers to all of that where i think there is all at once is it's 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 complex um i think there's a certain pressure whether it's real or just imagined but it feels real to me a lot of times the pressure to be posting um to be or to be the first one posting or to post the right thing the right way um but also not to be posting um if you're not living it or not having the conversations to not you know, to, to be active and yet not defensive, I feel um, part of that dynamic. And I'm not saying, you know, for me, because uh, this is what we signed up for. Leadership isn't easy and it wasn't easy in the Bible. I mean, they stoned a whole lot of the prophets to death. It was a tough job, you know. Um, but there's a side of it too, where I wonder how you guys are, you know, because I think there's like uh, part of what I feel as a leader is that it matters. Not only, it does matter that I'm not silent. It does matter that um, what my convictions are clear, but also matters what I'm doing when nobody's looking, so to speak, or what I'm, what I'm doing besides posting, which frankly, although it is complicated, is oftentimes maybe the easier part of all of this to make a statement or repost something. So how, how are you guys, and maybe we can kind of land it here. You know, um, I see you guys living this out, you know, not just in the social media space, but in your lives. How would you, how would you encourage people to get beyond a social media response or I don't know all the yeah I think um, I think thinking about social media from the opposite perspective of what it usually is so usually social media is is everything especially Instagram is like everything that I want people to think about my life and not necessarily hey like this is what my life is actually like um, and so what if your perspective when it came to social media was to flip those things and say hey you know what I'm gonna be committed to only putting on my platform of influence what I'm actually doing. And I think for me, that's always been my personal stance. And, and you know, early on when we started uh, leading here in New York, it was uh, challenging for some people because they were like, hey, how come you haven't posted about this? And, and I would have to tell them like, hey, that's just not who I am. I'm not gonna post about something if I know I'm not actively engaging in it in my everyday life and working towards that. Um, and so I would just encourage people like, hey, what if you flip the script and said, hey, I'm only going to post about what's actually happening in my life? Because I think that 
um, as, as Christians, I think that I almost feel like we, we are adding to the culture of, of, of like identity when we kind of buy into that. And, um, but I think too, as a pastor on the flip side of that, if you're not going to be someone who maybe is active on social media, because that's not your personality, there's still other ways to let your people know that you're present. So like when, usually when something like this happens, whether it's George Floyd or whoever it may be, um, one of the first things that we do is we just send an, an email to our whole community of people that God's given us the ability to lead. And we say, hey, we see what's happening. We hear what's happening. We're aware of what's happening. And we're here for you. And so if this has impacted you in a way where you're hurting or you need someone to talk to, you need somebody to pray with, you can contact me directly. And if I can't reach you, then I'll make sure that somebody from our team follows up with you. That's usually the first thing that I like to do. And part of that is um, I do that before I post anything on social media because I don't want the first thing that somebody that I'm leading to see on social media because I think it does more to show them that I actually care about them to say, hey, I'm going to reach out to you privately first um, and start this conversation privately with you before I make any sort of public statement or post. Um, and um, I think JR is speaking to that, obviously, from a, a leadership perspective, but we can all do that. Like, whether it's your office, we had a great conversation the other day with a woman who was sharing that, you know, the high up leadership of her company hadn't necessarily spoken to a lot of the situations happening, but she wanted to take the opportunity to make sure that her team felt heard and seen. And so she, you know, reached out to them and they had that conversation without, you know, any direction from leadership above. So I think no matter what your situation is, maybe it's your team at work, maybe it's your friends, maybe it's your family. We all have the opportunity to, you know, privately live out what we then post, you know what I mean? Like do that private first. And I think if we're doing that, that's the, the more important piece, obviously, you know, sharing where we're at publicly is, is great and it's important and there's value in that. But if we're not living it out privately, like JR said, then what's the point at that point? It's just a performative action and it's, it's hurting more than it's helping. Well, I think people know when it's not real. Yeah. So like people see you post something and they, and, and for people who know you, they're like, well, like, really? Um, and you kind of get, get that sense. It's the same thing with like, it's the same thing with our relationship with, with, with Jesus. I think, um, you know, ultimately I remember being a young worship leader and one of my mentors at the time who shaped my life when it came to worship, he would always say that when you step up to lead worship on a platform, ultimately what you're doing is you're putting your relationship with Jesus on display. So whatever there is a lack of will show. And I think the same should be true of what we choose our posture to be in conversations like this and in times like this on social media is essentially what you're doing is you're putting your life on display, whether you're going to choose to put your authentic life on display or uh, uh, kind of a, uh, a desired appearance of yourself on display. I think it matters. And I think, um, and ultimately we're called to reflect the image of God. And so um, my challenge for people would be, does your social media reflect the image of God? Does it reflect what you believe? And, and not just what you believe, but what you're actually living out. Um, and, and, and so what if we allowed um, 
actually allowed the word of God to dictate our posture in spaces like social media rather than allowing the world to dictate, um, you know, how we choose to portray God on social media or our beliefs on social media. I think those are, those are very just things that we have to figure out as, as, as people in general. So isn't that so much of the uh, Christian journey, you know, to reconcile the gap between, um, well, what we would like to think we're doing or how we, you know what I mean? But the repentance, the reconciliation, the healing, the ownership is allowing the Holy Spirit to shine a light and show us where we have a gap to, to close, you know? Um, so good. Whether it's worship or justice or, um, yeah, integrity and standing on his uh, promises. It's a, it's a, it's a journey and it's, uh, you know, I, one of my favorite scriptures where it talks about, you know, that, that he is the author and the finisher of our faith. The, another translation says he's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And I think, you know, um, I don't know if others would relate to this, but, you know, the authoring or the pioneering, like I'm all about it, but sometimes like the actual process of the perfecting or the finishing, like, that's just, that's hard work. That's one foot in front of the other. That's the day in, the day out. Um, and I think that's a lot of what we're talking about here. And I, and I guess, you know, um, I just really want to honor you guys. I know, um, you know, our, time, our time's done, but I really want to honor the two of you because I think, uh, you know, I have uh, a pretty close firsthand view of you guys uh, on and off the platform uh, in leadership and in life. And I just have, I think it was Maxwell who used to say that, um, you know, honor is um, when those who uh, know you the best respect you the most. Um, and that's what I would say of you guys. The more I get to know you, um, the more I respect and, and honor you. And, uh, and sadly, that's not always true in the kingdom. Sometimes when you get closer to leaders, you know, uh, I'm not talking about perfection because none of us will ever live up to that standard or being put on a pedestal. But in terms of people who are legitimately all in heart and soul doing the work inside and outside loving others well i just i just want to honor the two of you um publicly i'm so grateful for you the way you're stewarding um the community that you lead in liberty church in downtown brooklyn is amazing and and i'm i'm grateful to god just selfishly i'm i'm grateful that you're in my life in our in our lives and i'm grateful to be able to share you guys with um, people watching who maybe don't call liberty home but this has been such a valuable conversation. I'm, I'm really grateful for it. And I wonder, maybe JR, maybe you could just close us in prayer. Would that be all right? Yeah, I can do that. And, um, and we, you know, I think, you know, I speak for Tess as well, but um, I think, uh, you know, we're obviously grateful for you and Andy because I think, um, you know, like I said, I think this is, uh, you know, it's clear that you guys just believed in us and there was no like, you know, there's nothing else other than that. And so we're grateful for that. And I think that's allowed us to lead the way that we've been able to lead so far and, and even to learn and grow. And so we want to just say thank you for creating that space for us and um, and even for giving us the, you know, the space today to share. And, and um, you know, it's really, it really, it really means a lot and goes a long way. So thank you guys. Well, we love you. Um, 
But yeah, Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. And God, we thank you for what you're doing. Uh, Father, I pray for uh, I pray for the people who will watch this conversation. Pray that you would encourage their spirit. You would uh, encourage their heart. And, uh, and ultimately, God, would you speak to them? And um, would you show them the areas of their heart where they need to grow and to be open? Um, and ulti- ultimately, show us all uh, the places in our heart where we need to be more like you. And, um, and Father, not that we would be discouraged by where we're lacking, but we would be encouraged knowing that there's still room to grow, that there's places in our heart where we can grow deeper and deeper in our relationship with you. And um, Father, we pray for um, our country. We pray for our leaders um, in our country and pray that uh, ultimately that justice would prevail. And, uh, and Father, I pray that we as the church would do our part uh, to be a voice of justice and not just be um, not just be people who believe words in a book or believe in a God who is just, but um, knowing that you call us to pursue and to live out justice. And so, Father, would you help us to do that in whatever spaces you have given us influence and given us a platform? Um, and Father, part of pursuing justice is to believe and to live out the fullness of the gospel. And so, Father, I pray that during this time, there would be an awakening um, in the church that Christians no longer would choose a checkbox faith where they're going to choose what they want and what they don't want. But, God, that there would really be an awakening to realize that, man, when I say I want to follow Jesus, it means every single part of the gospel is what I want my life to reflect. And that includes justice. And so, Father, would you help us to do that in our families, in our friendships, in, in our churches, um, in our workplaces, in our schools, uh, whatever the space may be, uh, we want the fullness of the gospel. And would you help us to do that? Uh, we love you. We bless you. And uh, it's in Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.